Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Things in the midst of it. So if you have a Bible, um, turn with me to 1 John. We're going to continue in 1 John, and uh, we're talking about Christian maturity. Uh, which is exactly what Carol was talking about. Uh, as, as she was talking, it was kind of funny. I was thinking, man, that's, that's exactly... She's, uh, what did she say? She said, um, she said God's, God's working with her in, in areas where she felt fine. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that's part of growing up, man. That is growing up. That's, it's called being a teenager. All teenagers are fine. Ask them how they're doing. They're fine. They're good. They're totally good. They're always, they're fine. They're, they have nothing to correct, nothing to change. They have nothing to grow in. They're, they're fine. They got it figured out. They know. They, they, they know everything. And uh, the lovely part about maturity is that God allows teenagers to begin to learn things. And um, they start to figure out that they don't quite understand <clears throat> love. They don't quite understand money. Uh, they don't quite understand um, work environments and all kinds of things, but God's not impatient with them. So God's not, God's not mocking that, that stage. Um, God is using that stage to mature us physically, okay? And many of you have already been through that stage, and some of you matured, and uh, some of you are kind of there, and you're just hopefully going to get through that soon, because uh, maturity is not an age range. It is a, it is a mindset, and it is a heart stage, Uh, but especially spiritual maturity, though, uh, is what we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual maturity, that there are spiritual teenagers, and uh, once again, there's no shame in that. There's no shame in being a spiritual child, either. Uh, There's no shame in being a spiritual infant. Uh, No matter how long you've been in church, sometimes we think physical time ought to equal spiritual maturity. That's not the case. So God doesn't see physical time. He's outside of time and space. He is not concerned with how long it takes physically to get to point A or point B. He is interested in your spiritual maturity, however long it takes. He literally has all day. (laughs) He literally has all eternity. He waited all eternity before he even started creating the world. So wrap your mind around that for half a second. He literally existed forever before he made us. Therefore, he's not in a rush. He's not in a hurry. You and I are time-sensitive creatures. We get ourselves in a hurry and in a rush because we're always looking at the clock. We're always looking at where we need to be by what time. God is not that way. When it comes to time, God operates on not on chronos or chronos, which is this time. He operates on kairos which is a decisive action on his part. His version of timing is not, oh, the clock says it's this time or the date says it's that time. His version of timing is I'm ready. He says, I'm ready. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to do that. That's how he works. And so therefore, when he's working with us, he's not working with, well, you've been in church for six months. I'd say it's time you start. He's not working with that. He's working with, are you ready? We're ready. So that's the question, though. That's the question. And this is the grand question. Are you ready to grow? 
And I don't care where you are in life, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, honestly, I'd rather talk to somebody who's ready to grow than somebody who's not ready to grow. And there are many Christians that are just simply not ready to grow. You say, well, how do do I know I'm not ready to grow? Well, first off, you're defensive. When new truth is, 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 is shown to you, you see that as an attack on your old truth. And so teenagers, this is, this is good, it's good help for teenagers. Let, let your parents introduce new truth to you. <clears throat> I'm not saying any old nonsense will work, right? Because your um, classmates are going to introduce you to some bizarre new truth. Um, but let somebody with wisdom, somebody that you trust, introduce new perspectives to you. And don't become defensive because it's different than the perspective you've had for the past 13 years. Okay, the past 13 years taught you how to walk, taught you how to not use a diaper, but experience. Okay, so, so, so a mark of maturity is the, is the desire to grow, and you find out who wants to grow and who doesn't when they're encountering truth that's different from the truth they've always held on to. So the humility to receive new truth, or as Carol said, for God to deal with things where I thought I was fine. <laughs> You know, because there's stuff that's like, well, yeah, I know I need to work on that. I know I need to work on that. I know I need to work on that. Well, guess what? If you're not working on it, God's probably not going to deal with you on it. Because you're not ready to grow in that area. So he's going to go around and he's going to say, okay, let's grow you over here. And you're like, I don't need to grow there. (laughs) Well, that's the first sign that you're not ready to grow. So the first step to actually become ready to grow is to humble yourself to the place where, you know what? I'm ready to accept new truth because my old truth isn't working. My old life isn't working. My old way's not producing the results that I want, right? I'm not coming to the place of fulfillment and maturity that I have seen in others, that I see in Scripture. I read Scripture, and that doesn't look like me. Okay, it might be time to receive some new truth. And so uh, today we're going to talk about, and I'm talking about teenagers, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm not picking on teenagers. Hopefully I'm helping teenagers, because today we're talking about what Scripture calls young men. So if you have a Bible, we're looking at 1 John. Um, chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 12, um, the same verses we've been looking at for the past couple of weeks. Um, Verse 12 says, I am writing to you, dear children. Now, this is spiritual children, because earlier in the chapter, we know he's not talking to physical, like um, 6 to 11-year-olds, because uh, he, 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 he refers to the people he's writing to as his beloved dear children. All right, so he says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. That's how you become a child of God, is to have your sins forgiven. All right, and this is, this is no shame to be in this place, is to be in the place of simply having your sins forgiven. Then he says, I'm writing to you fathers. Now, this is the, this is the height of maturity, where your sins have been forgiven, but also you're able to reproduce. You're able to go in and make disciples. You can be a mentor. We talked about this last week. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And then he says, I'm writing to you young men. Now, that term young men, that would be anyone uh, physically, that would be from the age of 12 uh, to about uh, uh, the, the teenage years. So these were considered adults back in, um, in, in, in this day and age. Um, there was no such thing as adolescence. Uh, we hadn't come up with that term yet. But these were considered adults. And he says, I'm writing to you young men 
because you have overcome the evil one. And so if we go on to verse 14, he elaborates a little more about the journey. Now, he says, I write to you children because you know the Father. Now, the first step to becoming a child of God is to have your sins forgiven through faith in Jesus. The next step is to get to know the Father. So if you are a child of God and you're in the childhood stage, get to know your heavenly Father. Learn who he is. He says, I'm writing to you because you've known him. And he says, I write to you fathers because you know him who's from the beginning. It's the same thing. Uh, that he said before. Then he says, I write to you young men because you are strong and the, 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 the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. See that? So the first step, he says, I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. But now he's letting us know how to grow as young men. And by the way, this isn't uh, specific to gender because uh, the Bible refers to all of us as spiritually as males, and that's because we have the birthright of our Heavenly Father, okay? So this is a cultural thing, uh, but this is not excluding women, but it's also not referring to physically young men. It's referring to spiritually, spiritual teenagers. And he says, I'm writing to you, not, not, you're not rebellious, okay? Because that's not what a godly teenager is. Uh, you're, you're, not, you're not going through a weird phase because that's not what a godly teenager does, okay? Instead, you have overcome the evil one. And then how do I grow within that? Well, you're, you become strong and you allow the word of God to live in you. And so this is why I guess I'm, I'm saying Carol's a teenager. Uh, and she, she I, I, I don't know, I guess she, she needs to figure that out for herself. I don't know if from the pulpit the pastor should say where you're at but I don't know as she was talking that was very teenager like some of the things she was saying Um, that God is revealing things in her that she thought she was fine and then he's saying no there's deeper ways that you can grow in this and then that God is taking her through difficulty because I don't know if you know it or not but you do not become strong (laughs) you do not become strong by only doing things that are easy for you. Trust me, I didn't get all these muscles from just sitting at Starbucks. Actually, I did. I got these exact muscles from sitting at Starbucks. If you sit at Starbucks, these are the kinds of muscles that you will develop. They're enough for me to lift cups to my face and, and, and other, other things of which I need to eat. They're enough to pick up my kids and wrestle, but that's it. I'm not moving refrigerators anytime soon. I don't plan on, occasionally I got to do certain things, but then, you know, I throw my back out. So like these are the muscles that you get from a very little resistance, And so if you structure your day, I can speak from personal experience, if you structure your day in such that you have very little physical resistance, then these are the kind of muscles you will develop. When I was, and and by the way, I am way more ripped than I used to be. So like when I was 10 years old, teenagers, when I was like 10 to 12 years old, I started to realize I was growing up, I was getting bigger, but I wasn't getting, like I wasn't filling out. You know, I was kind of like, oh, what's his name? Captain America before he becomes Captain America. You know what I mean? 
That was me. I was like, I was like 100 pounds, 105 pounds. And I was like 13 years old, 105 pounds. I'm like, man, the, like, I don't know. Like, I, I kind of feel like I need to bulk up a little bit. So um, this is before my 14th birthday. Uh, my parents, for my 14th birthday, got me a bunch of weights and stuff. And I got this, this weight bench. And I'm from Michigan. So I went out in the garage because it's, it's um, actually April, March and April in Michigan was like last week here in Texas. That's kind of what it's like. Like you wake up to ice storms and random stuff like that. But the garage is nice to work out in because it's nice and cool, right? So you get a little heater out there. So I had, the, I had one dumbbell and I, well, I had the, the dumbbells for the hands and the, the big bar, whatever that's called. And then, and then I had this pulley thingy. And so I, I was reading up. I got this book about all these different kind of weights you do. And I got, I got this protein, this protein mix. This is back in the 90s when they were, they tasted horrible. I think they had sugar now. I haven't had one in a while. So I don't really know, but it was awful. So you drink this nasty drink, then you go out there three times a day, and you do all this, you have leg days, you have like arm days. I was doing 30 pounds per tricep, like doing like seven reps of 15, I think it was. Anyway, like I was, I was so I gained 30 pounds in about three months of muscle. It wasn't, I was just like, all right, this is awesome. You know, so I was up to 130. And that's when I decided, I started getting hot outside. Well, hot in Michigan version. It was 85 degrees. And I was like, it was like a couple days ago uh, here in Texas. It was hot in the garage. And I'm like, I'm out there. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm just going to get older. This is all going to turn to flab. And then I'm going to have to, you know, try to work to work it off. And so I'm like, no, 130 pounds is good for me. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm leveling off at 14 years old. And I did. So I'm preaching to you about leveling up. I leveled off about uh, 26 years ago. I decided I had enough muscle to last me the rest of my life. And, uh, and, and sure enough, 130 pounds, that's kind of where I hang. Uh, and I'm not adding muscle. I'm not taking any away. We're just good with what we got. All right. <clears throat> but if you actually want to bulk up, you're going to need to face some resistance. And if God wants to make us strong spiritually, he's going to introduce us to resistance. Resistance is a sign that God's trying to mature us. I know a lot of times people are like, resistance is a sign the devil's after you, so he must be doing something right. Woohoo! And it's like, well, yeah, sometimes. But sometimes it's not even the devil. Sometimes it's just life. Sometimes your car just breaks down, and the devil didn't do it. Ford did it. I'm not very happy at Ford right now, in case you can tell. This is personal life bleeding over to sermons. But I mean, you know, like sometimes, sometimes it's, just, it's, just, it's just life. But God is never taken by surprise by life. God has never, and he has a plan for all of it. Therefore, even in times of great difficulty and opposition, God has planned for us to grow through it, not just go through it. And so maturity is where God believes that he can trust you with difficulty. He can trust you with opposition. Because here's the deal. Technically, okay, and and this is what I ran into when I was 14. Technically, resistance, it breaks you down before it builds you up. Technically, I'm out there in, in, in in my garage sweating to death. I wasn't getting stronger. I was getting weaker. And I felt it. I'd walk out. My arms weighed a thousand pounds. And I'd just be like, oh man. And I used to sit down on the couch and I couldn't even like, you know, it's like the, it's like the Friends episode with uh, uh, Chandler. Ow, 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 ow. 
you know, like that's what it was like. Because you're literally, you are breaking down muscles. And that's what stress does. That's what anxiety does. That's what hardship does. It breaks you down. And if you're wondering about that, just check your Facebook feed any time in the last 12 months. And you have a lot of people that have been broken down. Let's just do a poll right now. How many of you are at City Chapel? Look, it's been almost exactly a year in the last, it's been a year since I've seen some of you. Like here at church, I've run by your house and said hello or something, but it's literally been a year since you've been in church. So let me, let me just, those, not, those at home, those here in the room, uh, let, me, let me ask you, how, how many of you in the past year have been shaken at some point? You felt shaken at some point, whether it's snowmageddon or, okay, now leave your hands up, leave, leave, leave your hands up. Now, now, now look around. Touch somebody and say, you're not alone. You are not alone. Manessa, Manessa is alone in her family. She, she's, she's trying to, <laughs> she's like, she's like, you are lying in church. You're lying in church. Lying in church. If, if you're watching at home, you're not alone. You're not alone in that feeling. You're not alone in that breakdown. You're not alone in that stress. You're not alone in the fact that you can't hardly lift your arms up anymore. You're not alone in that. You might have to slap somebody on the couch and be like, I'm not alone, right? <laughs> Baloo, you might have to slap Mia. You guys are vacationing in New Orleans today. Check with Mia. See if you're alone. <laughs> Ask around. I don't know. But seriously, I, this is, as, as a pastor, I see this over and over and over again. And people begin to break down and their arms are so heavy. And, and life has, has hit them so hard. And that's when they imagine that this must not be a part of God's plan. Because I thought God kind of resistance was supposed to make me stronger. Well, yeah. But first, it'll make you weaker. First, it will break down what you have. First, it'll make you feel worn down. And guess what? If you, if, if you just stay like that, like if you just stay on the couch, you will stay wore down. And I don't mean people watching online. I mean, like, if you're working out and you break down your muscles and you don't build them back up, you'll stay broken down. That's why the protein shakes were important. That's why I was consuming, I don't know how many grams of protein. I think it was like 40 grams of protein every day. I had it all measured out based on something somebody told me. Anyway, like, because, because, it's, because what, what is broken down is important, but what then is built up is more important. This is why it's more important because we're all going through 2020 and we're all going through 2021 and we're all going through together collectively through these things. But I'm telling you, some of us are growing through it and some of us are merely going through it. And the difference is not what you experience. The difference is what you eat as you're experiencing things. What you feed on as you're experiencing things, this is what produces maturity and growth, which is why he says you've overcome, the, you've become strong and the word of God lives in you. 
The word of God used to be outside of you. You would read it or you would put it next to your bed on a nightstand. And that was good. And that worked in easy times. But in difficult times, the word must get in you. You must start feeding on. You have to build up your muscle. You have to build. It's not enough for it to be torn down. You must build on it. And and, and a steady diet of Facebook is not going to build up your muscle. A steady diet of CNN or Fox, if that's your flavor, is not going to build up what is being broken down it's literally like if you if, if, if you're if you're if you're if, if you're trying to lift weights trying to work out and all you eat is junk food all day you will continuously be sore because the soreness in your muscle is a sign that it needs some kind of protein to build it back up and so we have christians who who for 12 months have stayed broken down and i'm telling you you don't stay at that level you get worse and you get worse, and you get worse, and you get lower, and you get lower, and you get more broken, and you get more down, and you get more discouraged, you get more critical, and you get more hypercritical, and you get more uh, bitter, and you get more angry, and you get more uh, on edge, and you get more ugly, not physically, all you are just beautiful, but you get, you get, you, you get more ugly attitudes going on, you know, and it, it doesn't, and it's like, well, I just don't see what God's doing here. No, you won't see what God's doing until you digest his word. The key to strength is not just going through opposition, but in the middle of opposition is digesting the word of God because it is the word of God that brings good out of evil. It is the word of God. Look, uh, uh, there's, this, there's, there's a passage in Mark, and I, I don't, they, they don't have it on the screen, but Mark chapter four, there's a passage in Mark chapter four, right at the end of Mark chapter four, where, 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 where Jesus is teaching a multitude from a boat. And then at the end of his teaching, he tells the disciples, he says, let's go to the other side. Right, and so and so his disciples. There's an interesting part of that passage in uh, it's in the New King James. They translate it. It says they the disciples he was, which by the way is how you you have to take the word. Jesus is the word that became flesh. If you're going to receive the word of God, you have to take it as it is. You don't need to find the best version that fits your particular um, biases. <laughs> you don't need to search for a whole bunch of YouTube videos that will agree uh, with your particular biases. You don't have to twist the word or grab one verse and pull that out and say, aha, see, this is, this is what the whole Bible says. No, there's, you, you're going to have to take it as it is, even when it clashes with your culture, even with it, when it clashes with your upbringing, even when it clashes with your church. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes people have been away from the word. They haven't been eating the word of God for so long that they don't actually preach the word. And so even preachers sometimes aren't feeding off of what they're supposed to be feeding others. And, and if you're not careful, you'll just simply get humanism boiled over with some moralism, tossed in with some uh, positive thinking, and you won't actually have the word as it is. So it is important to get the word as it is. And so the best way to do that, I say, is to go to the original language, go to blueletterbible.com, look up the Greek or the Hebrew, whatever you're in, and actually study the word. Actually study it. And so anyway, they took Jesus along as he was, and he got in the boat with them. And there's this weird little passage that says, and there were other little boats with them. Now, that's the last you hear about those other little boats. Because what happens is that night, Jesus goes to sleep in the boat, and they encounter this massive storm. There's a storm. They wake Jesus up. Jesus calms the winds, and he calms the sea, and then he 
corrects the disciples. And, and then they get to the other side and there's no other little boats. Why? Because a storm will always divide people who are near Jesus and who are with Jesus. Uh, people who are keeping an eye on him from their boat and people who have abandoned their boat and got into his boat. And the storm will delete many people because when you're in the middle of a storm, you can't see as well. So you can't rely on sight. You can't rely on, okay, I see him. I see where he is. No, you have to actually be with him. So you can't just rely on, well, I know where the answers are. That's right here on my nightstand in this book. That's lovely. But... When you're, when, when, when you're depressed and you're anxious and you're broken and you're hurting, you pick up that book and it flops open to Deuteronomy chapter five and you're learning about killing some kind of goat. <laughs> and you put it down and you're like, well, see, that doesn't work for me. Because in the storm, you can't see as clearly as you can, the, the, the calm is in order to give you access to get in the same boat with Jesus, to get the word in you. And then the storm reveals what has been put in you. And so if you're hitting a storm right now and you're like, man, there's not a whole lot in me. Okay, well, you need to go back to the beginning and make sure that you get in the same boat as Jesus and you bring him into your life. That he becomes a part of your life. That he becomes, that it becomes no longer you that's living, but it's Christ living in you. And so Jesus is in the boat, but he's asleep. Because in good times, we often let the word of God kind of rest a little bit. And when things got difficult, that's when they woke him up. And that's what you must do. You must wake up the word of God in every situation. This is how you'll grow into maturity is first off uh, going through difficulty and then going through difficulty with the word of God. And the word of God is not just the written word. It's also the rhema. It's also what God is speaking right here and right now. And so you also need to learn how to sense what the Holy Spirit is, is doing. And this is something I was sharing on Wednesday night, and I don't, know this, I'm not, I don't have this fully unpacked or developed, but I came across in this book by Christian Schwartz called The Indestructible God, and I've been reading that and, and, and kind of holding it up to Scripture to see if it's true. I like Christian Schwartz, but I don't doesn't mean I just believe everything he writes. And so I'm, 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 I'm searching some of this, and he's talking about uh, the difference between the Western church and the Eastern church, and Western culture and Eastern culture. And he says the Western culture is very organizationally driven, very pragmatic, very mechanical. We came up with the Industrial Revolution <laughs> because we know how to get an assembly line and get stuff done. Now, that's good. He said the Eastern church is more mystical as the Eastern culture is more mystical. Look at any Eastern religion, and there's a lot of mysticism involved. You're, you're meditating, you're, you're sensing, you're smelling you're smelling different scents, burning into all, all this kind of stuff because it's more focused on beauty and more focused on feelings as opposed to thinking. It's a left brain, right brain sort of thing. And the Eastern church doesn't have much respect for the Western church because they say, oh, you guys are just into numbers and money and you're just organizations. And the Western church doesn't have much respect for the Eastern church because it says, you're just, you're just weird. <laughs> you're just spooky. And you like like you got all these these uh, these uh, statues everywhere. That's just weird. 
right? I don't need statues. I don't need no statues to worship Jesus. I worship Jesus because he's not a statue. And you got all these, these, these relics, I think they call, you know, there's all this stuff everywhere. Like, you don't need all that. You got these, these, these guys wearing robes and stuff. You don't need all that. We got, we, we got our jean jackets. We're good. And so, uh, and so, so what Christian Schwartz is saying, though, is that actually both churches can learn from each other because the word of God is, is actually birthed in the Middle East, and it has moved its way around the world. And as it if you look at major worldwide revivals through church history, it's moving basically from the east to the west, and it's circling the globe. And some people believe that when it gets back to Jerusalem and there's another revival in Jerusalem, that that's going to be the end of the age. Just throwing it out there. I don't know. But we do see, uh, some of you are like, wait a minute, where, where do we just go with that? Um, that's a tidbit for anybody studying church history. But we do see that as the gospel moves across the globe, that different revelations are, are brought forth. And so John Wesley brings a different revelation than Martin Luther had. John Wesley's a little further to the west than Martin Luther was over there in Germany. And, 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 and the revelation of God's word, the truth that's in God's word is growing. And it's being added to, and there's deeper revelation of what's already there. And what happens is, though, unfortunately, the culture then influences that. And so the Western culture is based on really the Latin language. The Eastern culture is more based on the Greek language. Uh, Greek language is far more colorful. Latin is far more uh, black and white. And so we only have a couple of ways of saying things, but the Greeks have, literally, there's 60 different ways to write uh, most verbs in the Greek. And it's like, they each have a slightly different meaning. Now, you take that into account when you're reading scripture. And there's an interesting passage in 1 Corinthians. I think they will have this up on the, on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we have a Middle Eastern man named Paul who is traveling, and he's telling the church in Corinth of his plans. And he says, I will tarry in Ephesus, uh, he says, until Pentecost, for a great door and effective door has opened to me. So I shared this Wednesday night with the prayer team because I think this is important when it comes to prayer. The same word, effective, is used in James uh, where it says that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Actually, this same word that's translated effective door is uh, used in the New Testament 34 different times. And 30 primary times where it's, it's separate instances. And that word effective isn't effective. <laughs> I mean, it's not there. I mean, technically, in the original language, it says, For a great energia door has opened to me. The Greek word is energia, where we get our word energy from. Now, I understand that uh, folks, Christians in Austin, don't want to talk about energy. But I, I'm not talking about chakra. I'm not talking about your chi. I'm not talking about any vibes. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about like everything God makes the enemy tries to replicate. He does that all the time. Being filled with the spirit, he sees that and he's like, well, let's insert drunkenness into that. Right? And so we see that in scripture. So I'm not talking about weird energy. I'm talking about the Greek word energia, which means the inner activity or the inner stirring. So what happens though is uh, translators in the West didn't want to translate the word energy because it sounds spooky and weird. 
And so they said, you know, let's say effective, because that's what we like. What's going to help get the job done? If you read like in the NIV, I think it says a door for ministry. The word ministry is not in there anywhere. But the idea is, well, this effective, this, this door must be effective for something. What Paul's really into is ministry. Therefore, he's probably talking about ministry. But actually, just in the original language, it says that there was a, a energetic door. <laughs> An energia door. A, 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 a great energy door. Now, this is, I know it's kind of weird, but it's, it's, um, as you read through Scripture and you find the different places where energia is used. By the way, if you Google energy in the Bible, like it's not going to be there. You're not going to see the word translated, but energia, as a Greek word, is 34 times in the New Testament. And here Paul says that he is uh, going to Ephesus because of this great energia. Now, if you flip your Bible over to Acts 19, you see what happens with Paul when he goes to Ephesus, right? He says he's going to be there until Pentecost. That's, that's his plan, right? I, we, we don't have this on, this on the page for you, but you can look it up. His plan is to be there until Pentecost. Well, in Acts 19, it tells us that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell again while he was in Ephesus, and a bunch of people began being filled with the Holy Spirit. He stays in Ephesus for two years, you can, you can go ahead and leave that passage up there, actually. He stays in Ephesus for two years, and he builds a church, plants a church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus turns out to be one of the main epicenters of the early church. He later places his spiritual son, Timothy, as bishop over the church in Ephesus. And by the way, in 1 John, which we've been reading, John's the oldest living apostle. John lives, uh, outlives all the other apostles. And he, it's believed, based on Polycarp, some of the early church fathers, that John was living in Jerusalem until Jerusalem was sacked in 70 AD. And when Jerusalem was sacked, the early church fathers say that John moved to Ephesus. Which is interesting because Paul was killed in like 67 AD. And so Timothy is watching over Ephesus. He loses his mentor in Paul, his spiritual father. And just a few years later, John the Beloved shows up in his town to mentor him and to walk with him. I think God cares about Ephesus. Many of us are here today because of the church in Ephesus. And Roe actually, was it the church in Ephesus, that one of the underground churches that you visited? In what was biblical Ephesus, she, she did a tour around Greece, and they went to this underground church. I probably messed that up. Anyway, somewhere, somewhere over there. And uh, she went to this underground church. It's literally underground. And there's these carved out, uh, out of mud, carved out pews, and they're all facing the front. And there's a carved out, there's no pulpit, by the way, in the early church. They didn't have pulpits. They, they had a carved out table for the, for the Lord's Supper, and they had a dug out ditch for baptism. And that's it. But that, that's all God needs. God doesn't need lights and guitars and stuff. Like, he doesn't need all that. He needs his Holy Spirit. He needs you to participate in communion, which he commanded us. He needs us to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he needs us to be a body of believers that are gathering together. That's it. And so in the church of Ephesus became the, one of the great epicenters of the early church. And Paul went there, started a church because he felt a great energy. He felt a great inspiration. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the ghost that we were singing about today. The ghost that is inside every believer. If you want, don't send him your email address. Don't give him your phone number because that's not how he talks. 
receive from him the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit will stir up inside of you, will, see, this is the beauty of the Holy Spirit. He reveals doors which are open that are only open in the spirit. They're not open in the physical. Does that make sense? See, most of the time when we think of an open door, what we mean by that is everything worked out. Lord, just open the door for me. And uh, uh, the, the, the salary was exactly what we needed and the benefits were exactly and the house lined up and the sale fell through and the Lord opened the door. <laughs> Would you read this passage with me for just a second? There was a great energetic door is open to me. Keep going in this verse. It says, and there are many adversaries. <laughs> Notice he does not say, but there are many adversaries. For us, our version of an open door means it all works out. You know, but there's many adversaries. In other words, these two things are held in uh, sort of conflict with each other's tension. But for Paul, these are complementary. It's an open door and there's a lot, of en- a lot of enemies. What do you mean? Because his version of an open door is not a thing that works out. Wow. It's just not. In fact, th- th- that whole idea is not a biblical idea. It's not in scripture anywhere. You don't see John starting his ministry because it just worked out in the wilderness for him to be a forerunner for Jesus. You don't see Jesus getting crucified because it just worked out that way. This is not the way that God works. But yet this is the way many supposed Christians live their life. And, you know, like, why did you move to Austin, Mr. Christian? Well, there was, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a software engineer, a lot of those moving here. Uh, I used to live in California. It's a better job here, makes better money, and it just worked out. And then you walk down the street and say, Mr. Atheist, why did you move to Austin? Well, I'm a software engineer. It's a better job here, better pay, better benefits. It just worked out. So it sounds very similar to what the Christian told me of why they moved here. Well, no, 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 the Christian, that was God that just work things out. So essentially, Christians and atheists are making decisions oftentimes by the exact same metrics, just calling it different things. The atheist calls it dumb luck, or hey, this is part of my career path. And the Christian says, no, this is God's plan for my life. But is it? Or did you just take that job because it paid more money and had better benefits? And I'm not against better money and better, hey, Sign me up, right? Like, I'm, I'm fine with that. But it's interesting. Paul was not driven by, this is great ministry opportunity. There was no ministry opportunity. No church called him. Nobody, nobody said, hey, hey, come, we'll, we'll, we'll offer our house for you to have meetings in. There was, no, there was no benefits. There was no, like, easy, it just worked out that way. It's an open door. No, the open door was in the spirit. It was in here. He sensed it in here. He felt the pull in here. And sometimes what you feel in here doesn't line up with what you see out here. But when you're being directed by what you know in here, what you see out here will change based on what you feel in here. He stepped into an open door. And then on the day of Pentecost, when he thought he was leaving, he's packing up. Guys, great to meet you. The three Christians I knew here, good to see you. He's getting ready to leave. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm going to pour out my spirit now. Just share with these Jews. And suddenly they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's like, wow, okay, something's really happening here. He ends up staying two years in the place that he thought he was going to stay a couple of days. Why? Because, because God revealed. And so, so many Christians are trying to figure out how to live a life of power like Paul, but not a life of sensing like Paul. 
or submitting like Paul. But it's even, it's sensing, because they're not even sensing what the Holy Spirit is saying. They're sensing what the, what the, what the opportunities are. There's a, there's a pastor friend of mine 14 years ago that he might be watching this right now, but uh, we had a conversation because he felt like God was calling him to leave the church he was at. And for, I don't know, weeks, maybe even months, I would be talking to him and he still wasn't doing it. And I'm the kind of person, I don't know, even with my good friends, I'm like, dude, why? Are you not obeying God? <laughs> Let's just cut to the chase. He said, well, I'm waiting for an open door. I said, I said, well, what do you mean? By open door, he meant a ministry opportunity in another church whereby he could supply food for his family, get money. I said, well, it sounds like you have an open door. Not every door is an entrance. Some doors are exits. God's told you to leave. Leave. Where do I go? I don't know. <laughs> maybe God will tell you once you leave I, I, like, but, but it's, we're, we're conditioned to believe that open doors are these wonderful things that we step into where we got the, the dental plan and we got everything lined up and then we take the step it's not always that way sometimes the open door is the fact I need to go that direction I'm sensing this pull Guys, respond to the Holy Spirit pulling you. Respond to this. You don't have to understand it to experience it. Come on, Westerners. You don't have to understand it to experience it. Well, I could, I, could, I could be deceived. If you're afraid of being deceived, that's a sign that you don't know the truth. If you know the truth, you can easily tell the difference between truth and falsehood. So, so get to know, get the word inside of you and then grow up as a teenager in the faith and start to step out when things don't necessarily make sense because then adversaries won't, 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 won't pull you away. Oh, this must not be God's will. There's a lot of adversaries. It's not where, well, it's really tough here. I don't think God wanted me to go here. It's really hard here. I don't understand everything. This is difficult. No, what I, what I feel in here doesn't change what I see out. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't change what I see out here. This is, isn't the way that it works. What I see out here is not going to affect in here. But what I, see, what I feel in here is the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, start to, start to sense him and walk with him. Regardless of what he says. Because you'll be like, well, I haven't been doing that long enough, and I'm not good enough at that. You'll come up with all these Western reasons why you can't just step into the pull of the Holy Spirit. Why not just trust him? Why not just try it? Because meanwhile, while you sit there, you're missing out on the, the miracles that God wants to perform. If Paul hadn't been there on the day of Pentecost, the, all that stuff wouldn't have happened. The church wouldn't have been planted. Timothy wouldn't have been the bishop. John wouldn't have uh, gone there after Jerusalem. You and I probably wouldn't be here. You don't know what's hanging on the, the pull of the Holy Spirit. This is how he talks. He doesn't send emails. If you're wondering how to hear from God, and I, I talk to my kids about this, it's a sensing in here. That sounds kind of mystical. Well, it is. It's God. <laughs> We're not, like... You really understand him? You figured him out? I haven't. I, I, I have not. There are elements of him which he has revealed to us. As a father, son, a Holy Spirit, there's his word that he's revealed, and I put my faith in that. But above that, there is this unknowing, transcendent, unknowable God. 
who is higher, who is greater than my reasoning and my culture, who is greater than all that I and, and, and all that I am and all that I've experienced. He's greater than all of my logic and all of my wisdom. In fact, my wisdom looks like foolishness to him and his wisdom looks like foolishness to me. And he does stuff and I'm like, that's really weird. <laughs> and John steps into it, or um, Paul steps into it. He steps into that energy. And so I don't know, I'm gonna be digging into this further. You're gonna be hearing more about the, the activity on the inside, the inspiration, the in spirit, so the spirit inside of us. That if you are a believer, he is in you. He is in you. You received him when you believed in Christ. He is a person, by the way. That's why he's not just an energy. He is a person that stirs up an energy. He stirs it up. And you feel it sometimes in worship. And you feel it sometimes in prayer. And you feel it sometimes when you took that job that was the job God wanted you to take. You feel it sometimes when you bought the car that was the car God wanted you to buy. I pray about all that stuff. I don't know about you, but I pray about all that stuff. And I feel something sometimes. And I'm like, yes, that's the house we need to get. And, 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 and you, some, before you even knew what it was. You felt the sun before you could explain the, the, the thermal uh, heat that was coming from its rays. You stepped outside. You felt it. Is that mystical? I don't know. I know you can experience it without understanding it. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, you can trust it without understanding it. You can walk with him. So, Father, I just ask uh, for your people right now that you would grow us in every way as we become teenagers in the faith, which is, not, which is not a bad word in Scripture, by the way. Our culture has made it bad. But, Lord, this is, this is something that you have planned for us to grow into. You want us to feed off of your word. You want us to become stronger through adversity, and you want us to overcome the evil one. Not the evil one inside of us. That's already taken care of when we become children of God. But there is an evil one outside of us. That it, a God of this world that is wrecking havoc on our culture and you desire us to take him down, to shut him up, to bind his hands and his feet and remove his influence from our generation. You designed for your children to defeat the evil one. Not in our own power, not in our own strength, but from the spirit inside of us and from the word that is living in us that is alive and active. You designed for us to walk in victory. <laughs> and so, Lord, we step into that right now. We ask for you to fill us with your spirit. If you're watching today, if you're in the room today, and, 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 and you have not put your faith in Jesus, and you don't have the spirit of God living inside of you, you can simply put your faith in Jesus today. Scripture says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. You call on him. Whatever stage of life you're in, whatever mess you're in, you call on him. And he comes to you and he fills you with his spirit. You say, Jesus, I need you. I'm turning away from my sin. I'm turning away from my way of doing life. And I'm choosing to follow you and submit to you and accept you into my heart. You take over. I'm getting into your boat. Hmm. Lord, would you fall on us as you have fallen on so many? The stories are true. <laughs> The stories are true. And it doesn't matter if you're Baptist or Pentecostal. The stories are true. 
the name on the sign in the yard, doesn't matter. The stories are true. Our DNA, our spiritual DNA is that of power, that of love, and that of a sound mind. So we receive it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anybody ready? You ready?